Hello and welcome to the final episode in our Expert Witness series. I'm Sarah Greer, I'm a solicitor and claims team lead in Ireland here in Medical Protection and your host for today. In this episode, we're going to be talking to two guests, Rebecca Ryan and Nick Deal. A wee bit of background about both of them. Uh, Rebecca Ryan is a partner in Matheson and is head of their healthcare group. She's a recognised leader in her field, specialising in professional indemnity and product liability claims. Rebecca acts for a number of indemnity bodies, including medical protection, where she represents her members across a range of matters, including claims, inquests, disciplinary and criminal matters. Rebecca acts for internationally focused companies doing business in and from Ireland and provides her specialist knowledge in the healthcare sectors. She's an accomplished advocate with a keen interest in mediation and alternative dispute resolution, having previously qualified as a solicitor in England and Wales. Nick is Head of Expert Witness Training at Bon Salon, who are one of the UK's leading legal training and information companies. They provide training and information on legal knowledge, procedure, evidence and skills with innovative, relevant and experiential courses designed to improve best practice and performance. Nick himself is a qualified barrister, having called to the bar in 1989. He held a common law practice and represented clients before all levels of courts in the UK. Nick trains professionals across all disciplines to help ensure they can fulfil the role of expert witness and he's also lead trainer for the Cardiff University Bon Salon Expert Witness Certificate, which is widely regarded as a gold standard within the expert witness industry. So I'm really delighted to have you both with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, in the last episode, we heard from one of our MLC colleagues, um, Dr. Rebecca Whitaker, and she actually acts as an expert witness at the moment. And I'm really hoping that her enthusiasm for that type of work will have inspired some of our members to want to become expert witnesses. So in this episode, we're going to discuss a little bit more of the practicalities of what the work entails and how our members can take the next step to becoming expert witnesses. Um, so Rebecca, if I may, I'm going to start with you. Um, as I've said, you, you represent our, um, our members um, and across a various range of matters. Can I just ask you to elaborate that? When is it you involve expert witnesses um, across these various matters that I've talked about? Thank you, Sarah. So, as you said, we work um, as a team defending MPS members in a full range of um, types of claims and complaints, be it um, a civil claim, a regulatory investigation or complaint, an inquest or sometimes a uh, criminal investigation. So for us as lawyers, the experts are really vitally important for us to kind of unpick the facts of the case, identify issues in the case, look at uh, defensibility or look at strategies for resolution um, of cases. And the main reason that they're so important for us is because they very much set the standard in those proceedings, which will ultimately be determined either by a judge um, or a committee. And from the doctor's perspective and from the member's uh, perspective, the experts are invaluable, really, because they're judged and tested by their peers. Um, and they want to hear from their colleagues, you know, what are the issues, where where care may have fallen down, where there may be systems um, errors, but they also want to feel supported by their colleagues, even if there's a negative um, opinion given in a case. So it's really important from their perspective to feel that they're being heard by colleagues and not lawyers determining um, issues in the case. Um, so I suppose the support as well as the legal aspect is where we consider them to be absolutely vital in all the range of cases that we're involved in. Brilliant. And I think that's, as you said, it's really interesting because I think 
when I've been dealing with members, what they're looking for is somebody to give them a really accurate view, not just to say what they want them to hear. And I think going back to that, um, something I talked about with my previous guest is the fact that the key duty of an expert is to the court. And I'm not sure that that's always particularly widely understood by anybody involved in litigation. Um, and Nick, perhaps if I can turn to you, obviously, um, there's no requirement to have particular qualifications to act as an expert witness. The fact is, you know, if you are a consultant um, with good experience, then effectively uh, you will be an expert. But I think it's really important to get some background into understanding before you start embarking in this work. Um, and that's, I understand, where, where you and your company come in. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about the sorts of background and, and experience you can give um, clinicians who are interested in taking on this type of work. Yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely right. So, so from their own practices and their own experience, they have the expertise. Uh, so they've got the knowledge, uh, the, the the basis, the understanding and everything else that's, that's needed. But then to be an expert witness, you need the other half of the package, which is to understand what the court is looking for from the expert. So it's not just having the expertise, vital though that is, um, it's knowing how to deploy that uh, for the court. And this, the, the crucial thing here is this concept, as you were saying, of the, of the duty to the court. Um, and most experts in their practices are, are unaware of this and, and why would they be because they've not stepped into that work before and this is so crucial because the the, ju the judges um, certainly of the last few years have become increasingly uh, energetic about about policing not only does the expert have the knowledge uh, but do they understand their role and it's crucial that the expert understands what their role is. And so that's really the foundation of what Von Solon is, is doing, to help experts understand what this duty is to the court, what it means, and then how it plays out in every aspect of their work. So we, 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 want, we, we run training on writing reports, which is the, the sort of the obvious uh, immediate level for experts. But then we also look at all of the other aspects of an expert witness's work, which could be dealing with questions from their own instructing party, uh, their own instructing party asking if they can amend or alter their report in some way or correct it. And what are the what are the boundaries of all of that? Yeah. Dealing with written questions from the other side, uh, which they might have to look into. Uh, dealing with discussions with the other expert. What's involved there? How does the duty play out in that? environment and then of course finally going to court as well the majority of ex uh, experts very rarely get through to court um and uh, i mean rebecca will, will uh, know this far, far better than i do i've long since left practice but for an expert actually getting into court is quite rare all the more essential to know how to conduct yourself in the courtroom and how this duty to the court plays out directly in the courtroom environment as well. And that, that's the report writing and the delivering evidence in court are two of our key uh, course areas and we cover all of the rest as well. Brilliant. Yeah, and it, certainly when I was talking to my guest uh, in the last episode, she was talking very much about report writing and that if you enjoy that side of things, then actually expert witness work is a, is a great kind of sphere to get into and interestingly as you say most of her work she says is about the report writing a little bit of it is then to do with conferences and consulting with 
the legal teams and a much smaller part is actually being in the courtroom. So it's that kind of forensic analysis of the case and being able to be articulate and how you present it and present it in a really clear format. Um, now, certainly, um, as Rebecca and I will know, um, from our side of things, we'll be the solicitor's instructing experts and there's a real onus you should be expecting the solicitor who's instructing you to give you a really clear scope of what it is you're asking them to look at and what what the duties are or what the test is that you're looking at because obviously Nick I know you're UK based and um, Rebecca and I between us have experience in Ireland as well as some of the UK jurisdictions the legal tests are slightly different you know in Scotland we talk about Hunter Hanley and in England Northern Ireland we talk about Bolham in Ireland we talk about the Dunn principles all, all slight nuanced differently but by and large, a very similar test. But the solicitor sending you the instruction will very much set out what, what test it is you're being asked to look at and the, really the scope of what it is they want you to cover. And I suppose if in doubt and if the solicitor letter isn't clear enough, you'd be saying to them, you really need to give me clear instructions of, of what it is you want from me. But I suppose, as I say, although the tests are slightly differently, a lot of these skills like report writing and like courtroom skills, they're applicable pretty much regardless of which which a uh, court you'd be appearing in is that is that your take on it as well nick yeah yeah it is i mean we 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 do uh, the the cubs the cardiff university training that you were talking about earlier on which is obviously directed for english and welsh uh, legal system we've also recently launched the aberdeen university certificate as well covering the scottish legal system however for the report writing and the evidence giving courses we're actually putting people in the same in the same room because there are there are there are differences of course in in what what the courts are called in in the how to address the judge which often undoes every witness that i've come across <laughs> um and confuses a few barristers as well um uh so there are those sort of practical difference, differences, but the fundamental skills and the principles, yes, I, I, I think apply across the board. And, and you can't go wrong if you're applying this concept of, as an expert, I'm, I'm there to help the court. I'm not there to argue the case or to fight the case or to be an advocate. I'm purely and simply there to help the court to reach a sound decision. I think all of the jurisdictions would 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 be happy and confident in a witness who's who's presenting themselves in that way. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's a good point. And Rebecca, something that comes up in our conversations um, with members at certain times is the fact that, you know, I might be dealing with a case in Scotland, but an expert report comes in from the other side from an expert based in, say, England. Or likewise, I'll be dealing with a case in Ireland and an expert report will come in from a, an expert based in Scotland. And sometimes you'll question, is this expert well placed? And I suppose that's something I wanted to kind of just tease out with you. Certainly from my point of view, there'll be sometimes it's entirely fine and no issues at all with the fact that it's a different mm. uh, coming from a different country. But perhaps you could give me some commentary or thoughts on where and when that does and doesn't work so well. Yeah, and I'd, I'd echo everything that yourself and Nick have said in relation to whether somebody can be an expert witness is really down to their clinical expertise and experience. Can I provide a clinical opinion in this case? And, and as Nick says, they're very much not an advocate for any party. Their overriding obligation is to the court and not to the party paying their invoice, yeah. which can sometimes be lost. Um, but I think really as to whether you can comment on another jurisdiction depends upon the type of report that you're being asked to produce. So for example, if you're being asked to give a breach opinion, so you're commenting upon a practitioner's management, 
then there can be difficulties with that because if we have an Irish-based GP and um, the the opposing party has got a a UK expert or a Scottish expert GP, that GP may not know about the systems, processes, resources available, the guidelines of the local jurisdiction. So that in itself can cause real difficulties. And I suppose if the opinion is fundamentally unsound because they don't know the systems or the processes, the guidelines, it can be easily unpicked by a barrister under cross-examination or by a judge. And so it's easily challenged. I suppose there are other areas, for example, causation. So when we say causation, we go, okay, there's been a breach or there's an issue with management. What flows from that? That's what causation is, essentially. That doesn't necessarily matter because I think if you're looking at what flows, what injury flows from that act or omission, that that potentially could be um, a neurologist from England coming upon an injury to a patient um, in Ireland. Further again, with condition and prognosis. So if you're assessing a patient to um, assess their injury, again, I don't think there's a difficulty in that. So it very much depends, I think, upon the uh, the purposes and the, and the report you're being asked to produce. And again, if you're unsure, as we've both uh, we've all said, it's just ask the question, go back to the solicitor and make sure it's very clear what you're being asked to do. Yeah, no, I think that's well placed. And it makes me think of another point that it's worth highlighting as well is, yeah, I suppose when you're getting it, if you're approached to give an opinion, A, think about are you best placed and B, also think about your mm. particular field of specialism. Because I think this can sometimes be mm. an issue. You might well get a, you know, a solicitor thinking, you know, looking up a directory, finding, oh, right, you're an orthopaedic surgeon. Great. I'll contact you for this hip replacement injury claim. And then, yeah, you might be well placed to talk about it. But if actually the 90% of your work- workload and 90% of your patients relate to foot surgery cases, is that going to be a difficulty? Is that something you've seen, Rebecca? Is that something that you can comment on as well? Yeah, absolutely. And and there's, um, I think that's definitely an issue where you're being approached by solicitors. Or, and oncology is another area where they go, OK, well, this is a delayed diagnosis in cancer case. Let's brief an oncologist. But that oncologist is a breast specialist rather than um, a cervical cancer specialist. So it's very much understanding what the issues are, what you're being asked to do and whether that's within your clinical um, area of expertise. I suppose the other point I wanted to mention as well, and Nick touched upon this, is this idea of preparing draft reports because there are differences in different jurisdictions as to whether those draft reports are disclosable. So again, engaging with your solicitor about do you have all of the information? Do you have all of the records? Do you understand all of the issues? And having that conversation with them before you put pen to paper to make sure you've understood um, all of um, the issues. And I think the other potential issue around that, um, Sarah, is where um, you may have approached a, a particular specialty and actually there's three or four um, defendants in a set of proceedings or there's another issue for a doctor that's not been named and you you start you know identifying issues for other people that are not within the case so it's very much stick to what you've been asked to do of course if there are other issues pick up the phone and have that conversation um, but it's limiting your your opinion to to the letter of instruction I suppose and I suppose as solicitors practicing this area we see these kind of common pitfalls and Nick again like Mm. I said although you don't need particular qualifications I suppose that's why doing some sort of course the likes that your company offers helps because they're they're quite easy things to avoid in many ways but it's just I suppose having somebody made aware of them and, and flag them up to you before you embark on this type of work is that 
your take yeah, on we, it? We, we get a lot of people um, coming onto our courses, I mean, the whole range actually, in, in terms of some who've never done any expert witness work before. Yeah. That's probably the majority. Um, but we get quite a few coming on who've been acting as experts for five, 10, more. Sometimes I had somebody join who had about 30 years experience and then decided he'd come and get some training, um, which was quite an interesting thing. Mercifully, he'd been going fine all the way through. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, an expert becoming an expert witness, you know, none of us knows what we don't know. Uh, and therefore, it, it, it's entering an unknown area. And what we do is to make that unknown area more familiar, uh, accessible, and yes, all those all those common pitfalls. We, we've, we've talked about the duty uh, to the court. What you know, we've talked about the, the the tension that can exist between an instructing party and the expert and the expert's duty to the court. Now that can be an unspoken tension because quite naturally and almost subconsciously, the the inclination of the expert could be, well, you're paying me, I'm part of your team. Uh, without any undue influence by the lawyer at all. Um, and yet, of course, the expert isn't part of their team and they just need to be really crystal clear in their own minds. You know, this is my opinion. My opinion is just on the evidence. And, and in that sense, that the test they need to give themselves is, would I say the same thing if the other party in the case had, in, had given me the same instructions? And it just drives them down this purely evidence-based approach and just... Keep it clear, keep it simple. Here's the evidence, what's my opinion? Uh, and if you if you build from that level of simplicity, I think everything else falls into place. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think certainly Rebecca and I have been in many, many meetings together with experts and members. And as you say, it, it doesn't actually help. The member of the clinician doesn't actually appreciate at the end of the day if somebody's trying too hard or really you know, really not following the evidence to try and help them out because actually what's a big, better help is to just get a very clear understanding. They'd much rather know from a written report and from a conversation with an expert at a conference with just Rebecca and I than, you know, at the door of the court or indeed in the courtroom. So, yeah, I think that, I think it's really important if people are embarking on this work to just have that. It's, as you say, it's not about I've, I'm instructing you, so I want you to just say, say a certain thing. I'm instructing you and I want to know your genuine, honest opinion and whether you would give that, as you say, to me or to, to any other party in the case who asked of it. No, that's really that's really interesting. I think we're all on the same page in that sense. So, like I say, I think what I was trying hoping to get across to our members is that there are some pitfalls, but if you with a bit of training, these are actually easily avoided. And once you're kind of, I suppose, up and running as an expert witness, certainly from my last guest, Rebecca, she really enjoys the work. And Rebecca, you've got a close relationship with lots of the experts. There's a lot that you would instruct regularly. You can't speak for them, but is it your sense that they enjoy the work? I mean, certainly they keep doing the work and it's obviously work that's entirely voluntary uh, from that sense. And is that your sense when you're dealing with them? Yeah, I mean, I think um, obviously they're they're, um, very experienced um, clinicians. Some of them are very experienced at providing um, reports. Some of them have only just started um, providing reports and and, um, learning as they go. But for the majority of them, it's really um, challenging, intellectually challenging to go through all of the expert evidence to identify um, issues in the case, 
and we've had some really complex cases where we've had to do you know deep dives into um literature and um resources and and just trying to as i say unpick all of the issues in the case um i i think they all really love that challenge um they also really like engaging with the legal team um and having that kind of team approach to supporting uh, members through what's a very difficult uh, process for them um, and then the challenge of uh, giving evidence um, and uh, that can be a somewhat daunting experience. Um, but I think, as Nick says, you're there to help the court. You're there to give them your um, opinion and to take them through um, the case. And I suppose if you approach it um, in that way, it, it is a very rewarding um, uh, job to do. And in, in my experience, they all really enjoy um, doing it, it's a, it's a great part um, of the job. Um, and as, as I said, when I started out, I think from the members' perspective, it's really, really invaluable. And they do feel supported um, by their colleagues, even where it's negative, um, because they, they're they being given the information um, from, a, from a good place. Um, and as you said, Sarah, it's better for us to understand that early on in the case, either in the report or in the conference, rather than at the door of the court, um, where you are going to be challenged um, and tested by the the opposing um, legal team. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I really appreciated talking to you both today. Um, I'm also really pleased to say to people that both Rebecca and Nick are going to be part of our webinar, which is going out live on the 24th of May. And in that, we're going to be able to talk about these issues in a bit more detail. There will also be a Q&A session. So if there's any questions that I haven't asked either of them that you're wishing I had, uh, there'll be the opportunity to put that to them then. So um, like I say, I'd just like to thank you both. And with that, we're going to come to the end of our final episode of the Expert Witness series. Um, like I say, thank you to both of you today. Really appreciate your contributions and indeed the other guests who've contributed to the series. I really hope that the topics that we've covered have given you an insight into the role of an expert witness and the opportunities that are available to you if you're interested in pursuing this type of work. So like I say, just a final reminder that we have the expert witness um, webinars coming up on the 10th and the 24th of May. You can use the links in the podcast description to register for those um, and I'd be delighted if some of you could join us then. So with that, thank you again for listening and or watching. Um, I've been your host, Sarah Gurr, and it's been lovely to speak to you. Thank you very much.